sin institutionalizes us. Sin holds us captive. In the movie The Shawshank Redemption, there is a sweet old man named Brooks who's been in the prison for 50 years. And he just finds out that he's going to be paroled. And so Brooks is fearful of what lies outside the prison walls. He doesn't know what life is. He's been in the prison for 50 years. That's all he knows. So he takes a knife to another prisoner and threatens to kill him because he wants to stay inside. He wants to stay inside his comfort zone. He doesn't kill the man. Afterwards, in the courtyard, Red, the Morgan Freeman character, is addressing the rest, the rest of the prisoners and friends of Brooks. And this is what Red says. Brooks ain't no bug. He's just institutionalized. The man's been here 50 years. 50 years. This is all he knows. In here, he's an important man. He's an educated man. Man, outside he's nothing, just a used-up con with arthritis in both hands. Probably couldn't get a library card if he tried. You know what I'm trying to say. You believe whatever you want, but I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. Like prison walls for Brooks, sin gives us a sense of security. You may say, that's, that's absurd. I don't like sin. But the reality, you and I do. We like the world of sin around us. It's what we know. It's so much what we know, we don't even always know it's sin. It institutionalizes us. It makes things normal. We forget what freedom that Christ brings, and we can't imagine what life would be outside the walls of the bondage of sin. Our sin institutionalizes us. Our sin holds us tightly in bondage and slavery and captivity, and it blinds us to that truth. David Wells, in his book, God in the Wasteland, wrote this. For worldliness is that system of values and beliefs behaviors, expectations, and any given culture that have at their center the fallen human being and that regulate to their periphery any thought about God. Worldliness is what makes sin look normal in any age and righteousness seem odd. Modernity is worldliness and has concealed its values so adroitly in the abundance, the comfort, the wizardry of our, the, our age that even those who call themselves the people of God seldom recognize them for what they are. Our sin obscures the truth. Our sin distorts what is good and what is evil. Our sin normalizes itself in our life. We call evil good and good evil. Our sin hardens our heart to God. Our sin institutionalizes us, uh, us to itself. So when Jesus says something in John 8, 31 to 32, right, he says to the Jews who had believed him, 
if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The people respond to Jesus. And perhaps we would too. And we do. They would say in verse 33, they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Maybe you say, hey, I'm your child. I belong to you, Jesus. I believe in you. I'm not enslaved. You have set me free. We aren't enslaved. I'm not enslaved. I've never been enslaved. Now, you, you, you think about that. That's an absurd comment from any Israelite to say we have never been enslaved. So I actually don't think they are mean physically enslavement. Because I know they know their story better than we know their story. I mean, they have constantly been enslaved. They have constantly been in oppressed by groups. I mean, you're talking from Egypt to Assyria to Babylon to currently, right? And then when they're speaking, Rome has them. They are held captive physically. So I don't think they mean physically. I think they also understand we're not spiritually enslaved, Jesus. I think they're, they're talking the same way. We aren't spiritually oppressed. We can do what we want. We're free. But the problem with that is that doesn't even recognize their history. Because if you look at their history of the Israelites, you understand that the reason why they're physically oppressed is because they have always gone after other gods. They have always turned their back to God. They have always enslaved themselves spiritually before they were enslaved physically. Repeatedly, over and over again, they were constantly disobedient to God, institutionalized to their own sin. I, I, just go back to the very beginning when Jesus says he's talking to. Who is he talking to? He's not talking to the Pharisees here. He's talking to those that are following Jesus and believe. They believe. Yeah, you are who you say you are. This is a major theme in John. Jesus doesn't often preach to bring people to him. He often preaches to weed people out. He's going after fickle faith in the, in the gospel of John. The faith that is like, yeah, I believe, but I'm not so sure I want to go all in with you. This is, is John 2, 23, 25. Jesus, Jesus talks the same way. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. What does he know that it's a man? A broken heart that's institutionalized to sin. That this is a heart issue in the Gospel of John. That Jesus knows that all of us have this broken heart, right? And the heart is this, this center of will, intellect, emotion that is broken and disobedient and wants to do its own thing. Serve itself. Enslaved to sin. The people, at the very in John 2 and here in John 8, the people believe because they see a sign. Because Jesus is this miracle giver. Because maybe this miracle giver, Jesus can provide them something 
that they don't have. This is why they believe Jesus is a provider of something that they might actually want. Faith in, in the gospel of John is this, believing in who Jesus is and walking in obedience. Not just believing who he is, but walking in obedience. Faith is a life of perseverance in this world that will tell you not to believe and not to act. A world that will tell you not to believe and not to act. There's God's boundaries. God gives us boundaries of who we are. This is what it means. We talked about this morning in Sunday school. Wisdom. God gives us wisdom. This is how you skillfully live for me. And Jesus outwardly demonstrates this his whole life, what it means to skillfully live for the Father. And Jesus, it's the Gospel of John, don't just believe in Jesus. Follow Jesus. Do what Jesus does as well. You see, when you love someone, you don't just say, I love you. You do the things of love. You act out love. This is what Jesus said. If you love God, you act out love. If you love Jesus, you act out love. And Jesus is demonstrating what that skillfully living with him. Faith is living a life. Our life is really a struggle each and every day. Persevering, trusting in who Jesus is and what he's doing and what he has done. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, this world and our own heart attacking us. Day in and day out. Faith is in the midst of that struggling each and every day to trust and to walk obediently with God. You and I know that is a struggle. But faith is actually the perseverance. God doesn't just want you to believe today. He wants you to work in that struggle, persevering to the end. Sin institutionalizes our hearts, right? We are people that think evil is good and good is evil. God gives us, you know, the the law of God are boundaries from sin. The law of God actually tells you this is how you ought to live. And you think about the Ten Commandments. If we actually live them out, how beautiful our lives would be, how beautiful this world would. If everyone could actually live it out, how beautiful and peaceful this world would be. But our hearts don't live that way. Our hearts are institutionalized to sin. And so we think of these boundaries in which God gives, even like so this particularly sexual boundaries in which God gives, marital boundaries we get to get. All of that has been thrown out in our culture. And I'm not saying the church is exclusive to culture. I'm talking about in the church and in the whole world. We, God gives us boundaries. How do you wisely live for him? Oh, but here's a gift I give you. Marriage and sexuality, incredible thing to express. And here's the boundaries that are healthy for you. But we just dismiss them and laugh them. Well, those are old ways. Those are old ways. We call them silly. A lot of times we, uh, I think, I think people have a meatloaf theology. And so this is what a meatloaf theology is, right? Meat, I'm talking about meatloaf the singer, right? The actor who just passed away, right? And you know the song, well, his song from his second album, right? 
And I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. I think this is how we approach God. I love you. I'll do anything for you, but here's my boundaries. Not really interested in some of the things that you're asking me to do. I'll do anything for you, but I just won't do that, which you're asking me. That, that's, how we, that's how we approach God. Well, uh, you know, I can buy in some of the things that he tells me to do, but that, I'm going to draw a barrier. That's a, that's a heart that's institutionalized to sin. By the way, that's not really fair to meatloaf theology, but it, it really did, if I really followed his song, it really wouldn't do the point of my illustration. Does anyone actually know what he won't do in that song? What's that? Yeah, he's not going to leave her. He's not going to cheat on her. It's actually a really great song. Like, I won't do that. Good, you shouldn't do that. All right, so it actually is good theology, but it didn't fit my illustration. But you know what I'm saying. That's how we approach God. Yeah, go, go give it a listen. Uh, go watch the video. The video is fantastic. <laughs> Don't watch your kids watch the video. <laughs> you see, Jesus is not looking for believers. He's looking for people that love him. And what it means to love is to know who he is and to follow him. Do what he does. To live in the way that he lives. To live wisely as he does. To, to persevere. This is what Jesus does. Is to persevere in this brutal world of sin. That's what Jesus does. This is what he's looking for. Are you willing to follow him and knowing that this world is, is it's full of evil and it's brutal and it's hard? Are you willing to follow that and persevere skillfully living for him and trusting in who he is? This is why, I mean, so Satan, all the demons, they believe in the truth of who Jesus is. They, in fact, probably know it better than you and I. So belief, cognitive knowledge of Jesus is not enough. It's, are you willing to follow? Are you willing to persevere in that faith? It's, it's why Jesus says in this, right, abide in my word. You are my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. You are my followers. If you do what I say and do, you are my followers. You see that in that passage? It says, abide in my word. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I, I want you to hear clearly on this. It's not saying, abide in God's word, then you'll know what truth is, cognitive knowledge of it, and then that cognitive knowledge will actually set you free. No, it's quite clear, right? It's not objective truth or knowledge that sets you free. Not that objective truth is not important. But it's not that objective truth or knowledge. Someone can be very knowledgeable and know exactly what Scripture says, but is not set free. What sets you free? The truth. And the truth is not a thing, it's a person. Jesus clearly, repeatedly in the Gospel of John says, I am the objective truth. I am the author of all truth. I'm the author of all things. I am the person of truth. I am the objective reality. Abide in Jesus' word. And then Jesus, you will know who Jesus is, and Jesus will set you 
free. That is what he's saying. John 14, 6. Jesus actually literally says, I am the way, I am the truth. My way, follow me, I am the truth, and I am the life. And then we even have this encounter with Pilate in John 18, where he's held captive, he's before Pilate, and Pilate asks this, this incredibly audacious question. He doesn't know any better. He says, what is truth? There it is, literally, the truth sitting before him, and he doesn't know it. He doesn't even know the right to ask the right question. What is truth? Jesus is the truth. Jesus and only Jesus sets you free from sin. Jesus and only Jesus frees you from your heart and mind from the bondage of sin, from your institutionalized life. Only Jesus can set you free. You can't prison break here. It's not what's how it works. In John 8, 34, 37, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Mm. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Here's the logic. I don't sin. <laughs> I don't sin unless I'm a, I, I mean, I, I, I sin because I'm a slave to sin. If I don't sin, then I'm not a slave to sin. You and I know all of us sin. So if you sin, it's not because you actively chose to sin. It's actually because your heart is held captive to sin and you are in prison. This is the reality. Whether you recognize it or not, you are in prison to sin. This, these are the believed, he's saying. The ones that believe in me, you are actually enslaved to sin. And I know that you are enslaved to sin. This is how Jesus, I know that you are because you actually are going to seek and you currently seek to kill me. You believe now, but you seek to kill me. Killing is your way. And think about all sin is really killing. Every aspect of sin in your life is a way to murder something. You lie, you murder the truth. You take away the truth from someone else. You commit adultery. You're, you're murdering that marriage. Or, or bringing someone else and harming them in that capacity is a way to It's all murder. In Romans 6, 16 through 18, Paul says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one who you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. And having been set free from sin, you have been slaves of righteousness. So Paul is saying, right, if you sin, just like Jesus says, then you are a slave to sin. If you sin, you are obedient to that owner. And you and I are obedient to that owner of our heart, constantly willing to sin. But, it's a, but you have been set free. He's talking, though, you have been set free. Your heart has been set free to do what? To just believe? No. To obey your new master. You're always under the master. You're always being ruled by someone. You are never your own ruler. You'll be ruled 
by Christ. And what it, to the standard of teaching, to his law, you will be set free to live wisely into the character of God, which is what the law is. This is how Jesus sets you free. You see, the issue of sin, I want to make this very clear. The issue of sin is not outward obedience to the law. But Jesus is making very clear, the issue of sin is your heart. Will, emotions, intellect, everything about you is, is enslaved to sin. Judaism taught that the study of the law makes you free. So the, the more that you were diligently and studied the, the commandments and laws of God, the first five books, that you would be set free, this kind of knowledge that would come uh, into you. The Gospel of John and, and Jesus teaches that all of the law points to Jesus. So if you're actually studying the law, you would actually begin to know who Jesus is. But God says, I am here, know who I am to the standard of teaching. The good news is this. Jesus, the truth, the Son, is the one that sets us free. It's not, I study the law, and then I will be set free because I know Jesus. It's Jesus sets you free and then draws you into his word and draws you into his standard of teaching, to this wisdom. Jesus, who, who paid the penalty for all of our sins, which is death on the cross. Jesus, who, who the God has given us his Holy Spirit to indwell us with his presence in our heart, to begin to have this heart replacement in our lives. The issue that Jesus is preaching to is to those that believe. He says, ready your heart not just to believe, but to follow me. Be ready to persevere in obedience to what I do. And obedience in our lives only comes when God gives us a new heart and a new mind. A new and changed heart doesn't come from our outward obedience to the law. There is a order to this. Only Jesus sets us free. Can you get that in your mind? Only Jesus sets you free. You do not. In John 8, 38 through 41. 41, I speak of what I've seen with my father, and do you do what you have heard from your father? They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to him, if you were Abraham's children, would you be doing the works that Abraham did? But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. Jesus says, I speak only what I see my father doing. You all do what you have heard from your father. And he makes it quite clear. My father, right? Father God, your father is not. He goes on to say, right? Your father is of the devil. Your outward reactions, our outward actions reveals the inward heart. You want to know how, who, what someone believes? Watch their actions. Now, all of us sin. Right? All of us sin. We, we can always repent, but all of us sin. What's in our heart. So we know there is a brokenness in our heart. Outward reactions reveal the institutionalized heart. Think about this. They say, we are Abraham's children. 
He says, but you don't do what Abraham does. You don't, don't do what Abraham did. You actually seek to murder and kill is what, what your father does. What did Abraham do? What, did Ab- what is Abraham known for doing? Believing. Trusting. He trusts. In Genesis 15, 6, it says this. God gives him a promise. Out of the blue, out of nowhere, he picks Abraham, gives this incredible promise. It says, and Abraham believed the Lord, and it counted to him as righteousness. Now, if you know anything about the story of Abraham, this is the very beginning. Abraham doesn't live of faith, outward obedience of faith all the way. He struggles with his faith mightily every day of his life. God gives this promise of a son. I mean, 75 year old, years old, God gives promise, I'm going to give you a son. 75 years old. Abraham believes it. Counts to him as righteousness. And the rest of Abraham's life is a life working out faith. Struggling in faith. Learning to live in perseverance. Learning to live, actually to follow God. And follow, to live out his faith. He, it's actually a lifetime of repentance. Abraham continually screwing up of not trusting, and then learning to trust again and repent. He, he goes about many ways in which to try to fulfill God's promise. He tries to have, well, well maybe it'll be one of my servants, God. Will one of your servants be my, my heir? Well, how about I, I have a concubine, and, and instead of through Sarah, I'll have a child, and that will be my heir. And God, all these shenanigans in Abraham's life, and God keeps saying, no, I said, I will give you a son through Sarah. 75-year-old, he gives that promise. It took 25 years until Abraham was 100, until Isaac is born. 25 years for God to fulfill that promise. And 25 years of Abraham continually struggling with that faith and persevering. But it is a life of perseverance. In the, and then at the very end of the story, we hear the Abraham story, right? God says to Abraham, take this child which I promised you and then sacrifice on the mountain. Now, most of us think of that child as a young child. We actually don't know when it was. There's no timeline of when that actually happens. Jewish tradition actually puts it 25 years later that Isaac is actually 25 years old because in some, the, the child is so obedient to his father. We don't, we don't know, no, but I just want you to imagine that makes that story a little bit different. A 25-year-old son and Abraham as, you know, come. 125-year-old, let's come. I've, God's told me to do something. But in, in the concept, it's been 50 years of a struggle, of a life. We know that Abraham lives a long life. 50 years from the beginning that I believe into actually learning what it means to follow God and to live out faith. That's a life of perseverance. Not a perfect life. But it's a life that struggles each and every day because Abraham, just like you and I, his heart was institutionalized to sin too. And God is beginning to purge it and to freed him day in and day out. 50 years later, he begins maybe to finally understand this is what it means. How long has God been working on you? How long has God been working on your trust issues? How long you've been persevering in your faith? Guess what? 
Today is another day. Tomorrow will be another day to persevere in your faith. And when I hear persevere, I mean struggle to live out my faith. But if you're struggling, that means you're trying. It means God's working in you in that moment. John 8, 41 to 45. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality because they're kind of saying, hey, listen, our, our, we are children of Abraham. Don't say we're not, we're not, because they're thinking, they, uh, there's this experience of Samaritans, which are these kind of uh, half-breeds of, of Jews, and they're saying, that's kind of how, they're, we're, we're not part of them. And eventually Jesus actually, they actually say, hey, you're a Samaritan, Jesus. Like, you're born out of this. Uh, so that's kind of where they're getting at. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to him, if God were your father, you would love me. Man, could it be any clearer than that? For I come from God, and I am here. I'm cutting on my own card, but he has sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are the, your father, the devil, and you willed your will as do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Those that love Jesus... And only those that love Jesus love the Father. Only those that love Jesus love God. You cannot love God any other way. Only those with love that follow, that struggle in a life of perseverance love God. Jesus is being very clear in this matter. All of us are institutionalized by sin, and therefore our father was the devil. Only Jesus sets us free from that, adopts us into his family, and begins to work on our heart, and begins to first to be able to say, I love you, God, to I love you, Jesus, and then began each and every day to follow him in his walk and faith with him. More to the point, John eight forty seven. Who is ever, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. Another way you can kind of understand that verse before is that whoever loves Jesus hears the words of God. And those that don't, do not. The reason you don't hear is because you don't believe and you don't obey, and you don't belong to me. That's what Jesus is saying to him. You don't belong to me. You're not Abraham's children. You're not the father's children. You don't belong to me. The despotic master is not the despotic, right? The, the tyrannical ruler in our lives is not a president, the despotic ruler in our life is not a former president. It's not a, a foreign country. It's not China. A despotic ruler is not Caesar. It's not Pharaoh. A despotic ruler, the tyrannical ruler in our lives is not a political philosophy. It's not communism. 
It's not Marxism. It's not capitalism. The despotic master in our lives, the scripture makes very clear, Jesus pinpoint, the despotic master is our own hearts. Period. The end of story. Your enemy lies within. It is not without. Yes, the, uh, Satan is the enemy of him, but Satan is the deceiver. He's not an equal. The problem lies with at us. You can't blame Satan for your sin. It's your broken, institutionalized heart that is enslaved to sin. That has this, this tyrannical rule in your life. Doesn't that free you up a little bit to understand the enemies within and that no one else is the enemy? You see, the, but the good news in the midst of all this is that God is in the business of overthrowing the ruler in your heart. And it's not a hard battle for him. It's a struggle that we live out, but it's not a hard battle for him. He's in the, in the heart replacement business. Jesus doesn't, free, doesn't just free us from our institutionalized heart. He claims us. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws me, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus claims us. He claims us to have institutionally broken hearts. We belong to him. He purchases us. This, I used this a couple of months ago, the Heidelberg Chasm, question one, and it's so beautiful. I want you to hear it again. It says, what is your only comfort in life and death? I mean, in other ways, you can phrase this. What is your only comfort if with your institutionalized heart? The answer is that I am not my own. That you are not your own ruler. That you don't belong to yourself or to, anyone, to anything else of this world, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. For those that are bald, you can have a conversation with him later about that. But he knows all of it. All things must work together for my salvation because I belong to God. I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Outward actions of obedience. Only God frees us from do that. Jesus claims us, purchases us, not to just set us free to be these individuals to do whatever we want. He says, no, I know that you're under rule by your heart. I want you to be under rule. And this is the crazy, under rule, under a master. And in that is freedom. In that is freedom. If we belong to him, he has set us free. He calls us not just to trust, not just to believe, but to live out that trust, to live out that faith, to persevere day in and day out in this hard and cruel world filled with a bunch of despotic rulers 
sin-institutionalized hearts themselves. In verse 31, 32, he says again, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. People that belong to Jesus, that belong to God the Father, that love him, they abide in his word. Plain and simple. Because God has set you free, you love him so much, you abide in his word. Not only just because you want to hear and you want to obey, but you're eager to sit at the feet. So you're going to spend time. You want to know who God is. What, what does he do? I want to learn. I'm eager to sit at his feet and learn. I know it's hard at times to understand this book, but I'm eager. I'm eager to be under his reign, his rule, his authority. More than that, I find it the most precious thing in the world. That our heart, if you love him, your heart will be drawn to his word. You can't say, I love you, but I won't do that. I don't want to know about you, and I don't want to know how you want me to live. I don't want to know what freedom is. I'll do it. I'll decide. That's this institutionalized heart. But you want to fight. However, he's not just saying, just abide in my word. He's not just saying, love me and just abide and kumbaya and sit and read God's word and life will be great. He says, no, 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 it's more than that. The deepest knowing in our life is not just cognitive learning. Like if you really want to know something, right, you, you actually learn it with all your senses and then you remember it. You, you participate in it. It comes from not just knowing, but actually doing. I, I don't, you want to know what love is. Do what love is. More, it's more than learning and memorizing concepts about Jesus, but it's the deepest truth comes from encountering and yielding to the one who is the truth. That is love. Living it out. You want to begin to learn what love is, begin to learn what are the boundaries and what is the wisdom that God has to skillfully live in this world, what his character is. Remember, obedience and knowing doesn't set you free. It doesn't set you free. Only Jesus sets you free to live a life of obedience following him. Jesus deinstitutionalizes our hearts from this world. Jesus deinstitutionalizes our hearts from sin. And the opposite of sin is obedience motivated by love, not motivated by fear but motivated because I love God. The summary of obedience in all things is loving Jesus. And another way of God would say that is also loving your neighbor. If you love Jesus, abide in his word and obey it, live it out. Let us pray. Father, I'm overwhelmed by the brokenness of my own heart. That how ingrained at time the ways of sin are, how easy they come to me. How easy I turn to it. And I also get overwhelmed by seeing a world and being revealed a world that is so institutionalized to sin as well too.
Lord, I pray for the continual perseverance and the freeing and the renewing of my own heart, the heart of my children and my wife, the heart of, of, of this congregation, the heart of this community, Lord, to free us from this institutionalized brokenness in us, from these prison walls. Remove the fear of living in this new freedom in which you give, this new freedom which you claim for us. Lord, and give us the courage today to persevere in faith, to persevere in loving you by living it out. And give us the eagerness and the pressure, the desire to abide in your word and to follow you, to know who you are and not to find how we are going to love you, but to learn how you want us to love you and to love our neighbors to what love is. By only your power, Lord, by only your way, I thank you that you are the only one that can set us free. Praise be to you. And all God's children said, Amen.